This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. Hi, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney. Today on the download, we have some interesting market news. We have some very large uh, gaming moves that are coming out of the uh, sports betting arena. Several companies that are positioning themselves for IPOs on the on the public markets, and also MGM Grand making a very large push for legal gambling that is opening up in several different states. Unfortunately for those of us in the state of Florida, a federal judge has blocked the Seminole tribe's ability to offer online gaming. So currently that is still in a bit of state of flux, but some very hot things and indicators to watch for in the world of sports wagering and online gambling that will certainly be carrying us into 2022 uh, with some interesting things to watch with regards to what is uh, going on in those types of uh, securities markets. Now, with some other uh, maybe more interesting news, the meme stops, meme stocks such as GameStop and AMC are just tumbling and uh, seem to be backing down against the pressure of uh, a lot of the different news and negativity that has come out of things like Wall Street bets on Reddit. So it's kind of interesting to see that the kind of grassroots push for some of the uh, in inflationary pricing on some of these securities is really taking a hit. Now, does that qualify for some type of buy scenario or is it something that is going to see a permanent cool off? Time will tell. Now, we have another interesting aspect of initial public offerings. Samsara, which is a very large cloud computing cloud computing platform, is also poised to release on the New York Stock Exchange this week going to really be seeing an interesting play in the cloud computing space that has been pretty much exclusively dominated by AWS. So seeing how that's going to actually affect some of the other big cloud computing factors in the markets uh, will certainly be fun to watch. Now, Pfizer's COVID vaccine uh, has been announced that it does fully protect from the Omicron-related variant of COVID-19, which is fantastic news. Now, this variant seeming to be slightly less virulent than the other ones we have seen, but still good news nonetheless, and hopefully that will shelter some of the markets from some of the shocks that we have seen in in, uh, the past year when it comes to new variants coming out for that virus. Now, Tesla shares are dipping a little bit in pre-market trading as CEO Elon Musk sold another very large tranche of his shares. Now, this uh, very... Eccentric CEO has been known for putting out polls about selling his shares of his company and raising more personal capital for various different reasons. But nonetheless, very interesting to see that uh, the large tranche that he is selling has caused a slight bit of a dip in the share price of his underlying company. This has been The Download. Today on the what is, what is a pre-IPO? Now, I've just talked about a few different companies that are having IPOs on the public securities market, but what exactly does that mean when someone says a company is pre-IPO or getting ready to do an IPO? It means that they are getting ready to have an initial public offering. 
that means that they are going to start offering their shares for trade on open securities markets, meaning that anyone from John and Jane Smith to larger industrial uh, brokerage houses such as Vanguard and Fidelity can start purchasing those shares on the open securities exchange markets, but specifically with a pre-IPO means that the company is still private. They're still raising capital or getting ready to have offerings that are only going to be open to those types of investors, such as accredited investors, uh, to purchase into those companies. People might refer to these as series A or B rounds or, or friends and family only capital raises. But essentially being pre-IPO means the company is not yet traded on a public securities market, but that they are positioning themselves in order to be able to be listed on one of the major exchanges, such as the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. This has been The Download. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another iteration of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Mr. Bill Cook, a, uh, a, a very guiding force in the art of door knocking for buying real estate. Kind of a, an interesting art that I think uh, many people might not necessarily be familiar with or just say, you know, an alternative way of looking at doing real estate investing. Uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, have you on, Bill. Thank you very much for being with us today. I am very impressed with your sound set, sound your your setup. I've seen like the cl- things in the background that get muted, and you have a very fancy microphone. I am impressed, Alex. That looks good. Thank you very much. It's uh, we we aim to please here at Advanta. So uh, high quality. Are you at Advanta? Are, are you at Advanta right now, or is that your home office? No, this is uh, this is my office over here at our Largo location. Man, you just go all the way out. That's pretty cool. Hey, you can be surprised what you can find on Amazon for relatively cheap. The uh, the sound deadening, I think, was like five bucks for a, a straight from China vacuum packed uh, thing of foam. So it's uh, not as impressive as it may seem. But yeah, no, thank you very much for the compliments. Um, so, Bill, uh, again, you know, we love having you on. I think our clients get a fantastic value from the perspective that you bring. You know, we have so many different people that come on and bring great value, but it's a lot of them kind of work in the same vein. You know, we have a lot of people that are in multifamily syndication or that talk about buying and flipping houses, but uh, your approach is just so fresh and so interesting. um, And the very, uh, you know, investor and person forward approach that you take to thing uh, and the focus on not just maybe the property and the deal, but the actual person behind it and what their needs are uh, to get out of it. Because, you know, it's, it always seems like you're a very rising tide, raising all ships approach to investing. And especially with the fact that you do it in a very unique and interesting way. So I'll let you get into maybe a little bit about uh, your, your background, your, what kind of brought you into uh, where you are now, how you maybe got started at door knocking, because uh, I do find that very interesting and compelling story, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I think it's hilarious that you use the word new and unique and fresh, because door knocking has been around since before the phone, long before the internet, before the postal service ran. I mean, door knocking has been around, you know, cave to cave, going back to Neanderthal, man, when you wanted to get something or know something about someone else, you went next door to the person over there and you knocked on his rock and said, you know, I'm a hooker. And so this is not, any, this is nothing, but this is not new and fresh, everybody. This has been around for a long, long time. And so hit me with your questions. So that'll better guide me, Alex. So I know exactly what you want me to uh, answer. 
Yeah, absolutely. So tell us maybe how you uh, <clears throat> how you got your start. I know it's uh, you've, you've been door knocking uh, in one form or fashion professionally for a very long time. So maybe kind of give us an idea of, you know, what what got you started and what showed you the value of, you know, approaching people directly when it comes to trying to find real estate deals and buying real estate, because more often than not in today's society, people are like, oh, I I get on, you know, realtor.com or Zillow and I just find what's out there. Uh, but maybe give us an idea of how you, you know, began to see that value, what maybe guided you in the direction of seeing that knocking on someone's door to get a, a deal started in real estate was, was, was a way to go that was valuable for you. Okay. So I have been professionally knocking on people's doors and being invited in their houses since I was 12 years old. So I'm 61. You do the math and that you'll find out that's about 7,000 years I've been door knocking. So it's all I've ever done. Again, knocking on someone's door, being invited into their home. That's how I've made my living. So when I was 12, that's usually when young men quit getting allowances. Maybe not today. 30-year-olds still get allowances. I don't understand that. But but my dad looked when I turned 12 and said, you're done on your allowance. You have chores. You're going to do them. And you're not going to get paid for them. And so if I wanted money, I had to do something. And most young men go cut grass. It's just I'm allergic to grass, which means my eyes fall shut when I try to cut grass. So what I did is took my mother's electric shampooer. And I'd go door to door in my neighborhood and I'd knock on the door and sell shampoo your biggest or dirtiest carpet, $5. Now, back then, you know, you had, you know, 1.5 horsepower, non-self-propelled, non-bagging lawnmowers. And so that meant when you mowed a grass, most of yard, it took about two and a half hours, then you raked it. And then you, you used uh, usually paper bags to put the grass in. So we didn't have plastic trash bags back then, or you had a, like your mother's old sheet that you would use and then dra drag that home. So that's how I started. And then when I was 18, it was time to go to college. I had to put myself through, you know, I, uh, my dad at 18 said, you know, we, you've done enough, enough. He handed me on my 18th birthday, which was in March. I was graduating from high school in May. He handed me a spoon and a toothbrush. And we went out back in our backyard and there was a big tree back there. That was our thinking tree, our talking tree. And we leaned up against it and he said, he handed me the spoon and toothbrush. And I said, what's this for? He said, well, you're 18. He said, you graduate in early, early May. On May 31st, you're on May 30th, you're moving out. We're done. We did our job of raising you. He said, I give you the spoon because if you're ever hungry, bring this spoon home and we will always feed you. But don't ever bring your toothbrush because you're not staying. And so if I wanted to go to college, and I was an army brat. My dad was in the army. So we traveled all over the world. So I didn't even speak English until I was about six. I spoke Spanish and Thai. So I was a true army brat. And I was, my choice was going to the army at 18. Or I chose to sell electrox vacuums door to door to put myself through college. And so that's where it began. And when I graduated, I had got a job at Procter & Gamble, which is in Cincinnati. And I was going to work in the, uh, they call them the Dolly Parton, two, two big towers. You can understand why they call them the Dolly Partons. And I was going to make, I think my first year out, like 32000 was the job offer, which back then in 1982 was a lot of money. But I could make 90 some odd thousand dollars selling vacuums for Electrolux. So I just chose to stay with them. So for 18 years, I sold vacuums door to door. And then when I was 35, my wife and I made the decision that, by the time we were 55, we want to be financially free. And her mother had four or five rentals. And I'd always wanted to own rental property, but didn't think I could. And with my wife's 
encouragement. She found our first house, looked up that first deal, negotiated the deal. My wife did everything, everything on that deal because I was terrified. But she got us going. And once we got going, the way I found pretty much every lead, every deal we've ever done, the way we built our business is through my door knocking. And I can back up even further. So I said, you know, I started door knocking in 1972, but my mother also sold a lot of trucks vacuums door to door. And she did it for 28 years and she started in 1968. So truly, since I was eight years old, I grew up around a table where we talked about door knocking on a regular basis. So to me, that was the normal. So that's how I got started. And I can finish it off with God wanted me to door knock. God wants you to door knock. God wants everybody to door knock. And I can prove it without a doubt. We'll go biblical. Matthew 7, 7. Alex, do you know what Matthew 7, 7 says? I don't, but I have an inkling that you know the, uh, the exact verbiage of that passage. Why don't you give it to us, Bill? I'll help you. I, you know it. I'll start it and you can finish it for me. Knock and the door shall be open. God wants you to door knock. Matthew 7, 7. There you go. So uh, that's the story of how I got started. Fantastic. So that's, that's very interesting that you, you know, obviously have, uh, you know, you had professional experience in another area that kind of led you into this to help, you know, guide you and show you that value and obviously teach you some, some tips on, on doing that. Uh, now I know that you've done probably hundreds, if not thousands of deals, but maybe not thousands, hundreds, hundreds, not thousands. Okay. So just so you know, we would do 12 to 15 deals a year. I was never a big producer. I, I That wasn't my cadence. That's not what I felt comfortable with. I have friends that do 30 deals a month. I never could do that. So I was 12 to 15 deals a year. We did that between ages you know, 35 and 55 that got us to where we were financially free, where we had, you know, we, we had our rental properties. We had a mobile home park. We had notes. We had options. So it was, we were never big producers, just, just consistent. So when it comes to making these deals, and I think people, you know, hearing that they say, oh, you know, great, you know, this guy, you know, walked around, you know, had made a, had made a bunch of money selling Electrolux vacuums and was walking around, but you weren't necessarily buying all of these deals cash, correct? I mean, you were getting creative with different terms <laughs> and different strategies with that. I think that's, you know, it's, it's easy enough for maybe someone to think, hey, you know, I have a, you know, walk out with a pocket full of money, knock on someone's door, make them an offer and buy their house. You know, it's, it's easy enough to kind of conceptualize that, but that's not exactly the way that you went with this, correct? I mean, you, you got creative with all sorts of different stuff. So maybe talk about a little bit of, you know, your philosophy on your approach. You know, you knock on someone's door, you talk to them. It's not just, hey, you know, here's cash, you know, for your home, you know, guide us through a little bit of the process of what your, you know, process is for knocking on someone's door, getting in, talking to them and where it goes from there on how you make these deals happen. Okay, so first of all, like all new real estate investors, we were broke. I mean, you can only buy one, or, you know, we, we, Kim and I had done well. You know, we were in our mid thirties when we started investing and we had saved and we had money and we had good equity in the house. So we went and took a HELOC against our house, which probably was not the best idea, but we had to start that way. And um, we had some cash in the bank, which when you have one or two deals going, if you're buying the house for cash, you're broke. I mean, that, that money is gone. It just didn't exist anymore. So then you have to get creative. And thank God I had three phenomenal teachers, three of the best real estate investing teachers in the country. And I found them right around 97, 98. So that was going to be Jack Miller and Dyke Spotterford and Pete Fortunato. So Dyke Spotterford, in fact, he just, he and um, Pete Fortunato just did their IRA class uh, two weeks ago. 
of which I was there for the 20th time, probably. So I go to their classes whenever they teach, every time they teach. It doesn't matter what they're teaching or how many times I've been. I just keep going back. So let's talk about creative deal structuring for a second. You have to understand that it's its own language. You know, it's not something you're going to take one class and understand. So uh, the question I will ask people, is it hard to learn Chinese? And most people say yes. And the answer is no. It's very easy. And you can prove it because go to China right now and you'll see a billion five-year-olds that speak Chinese fluently and their brains are not fully formed. So how can these non-fully formed brains, these little human beings, speak Chinese fluently? And the answer is they're around it all the time. They're immersed. And creative deal structuring really is the same way. That's why I would go to their classes. Now, Jack passed in 2009, but Pete is very much alive and so is Dykes. And I still go to their classes because another lesson I learned, not only do you have to immerse yourself in the language, and right now I'm speaking to all the gray hair and bald headeds out there. You know, the people who have been doing this for a while, you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you think I got this, I know this. When I moved to the States, uh, we moved from a place called Udan Tiny Thailand, and I spoke Thai fluently, fluently and Spanish fluently because I'd been born in Barranquilla, Colombia. But I didn't speak a word of English. And when I came to the States, I couldn't understand anything anybody said. And I had to learn English. And I was embarrassed because this face had an Oriental accent. And when you didn't understand, it had a Spanish accent. It just didn't fit. Everybody kept looking at me going, he's a strange boy. Anyway, so... Uh, I learned English and we moved to Enterprise, Alabama. My dad was teaching uh, flight instruction at Fort Rucker, Huey helicopters. Now here's the thing. And here's the point of the story. By the time I was 13, I could no longer speak Spanish nor Thai, but I spoke English fluently. So what had happened? Well, I had immersed myself in English. So I learned that language, but I had not stayed immersed in Spanish and Thai. So I lost those languages. So to learn the language of, language of creative, creative deal structuring, not only must you immerse yourself, you have to stay immersed. You have to stay around people who speak it fluently. So don't be overwhelmed by deal structuring. Just understand it's just a language. And you learn it a word at a time, a phrase at a time. You just have to stay at it and hang around other people who are speaking that language. And you'll do just fine. Yeah, I would, I would um, highly recommend that point to everyone. You know, we're going to have uh, Dyke Spotiford, one of the individuals you mentioned, and we've had Pete on this podcast as well. Uh, you know, stay immersed in it. Uh, you know, I, I can I can parrot that very much so, is that the most of the successful investors that I know are very common faces around the same tables. So, you know, a lot of- how, how, do, how do people find those? Again, you've done the podcast. You have them available, I'm sure. How do people find those podcasts? They are on all the major podcast platforms. So if you just search the Alternative Investing Advantage or Advanta IRA on Spotify, Apple, Google, Google, uh, excuse me, uh, podcasts, they uh, we we use a service that pushes them out to all the major podcast platforms. So search and you shall find. If it comes to uh, <laughs> you're also also part of Matthew seven seven. By the way, <laughs> just in case you didn't know that, I I am I am seek. Not- Seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. You're quoting biblical and you didn't even know it. How about them apples? I didn't even know it. There you go. I'm I know. Learning something new every day. I'm, I'm always happy to absorb the knowledge. So again, that's that's one thing that I would definitely uh, 
you know, kind of hammer home with people, you know, if you're tuning into this podcast and you're saying, hey, you know, how can I get started or I need to learn something or I want to learn something new, just like Bill said, you know, he he knew Thai and Spanish and then coming to the United States, then forgot both of those and learned English. Immersion is really kind of a key in that. And again, some of the things that I've seen in my professional career, some of the people that do this the most often that make the most deals are the ones that are at the same tables, constantly talking about it and immersing themselves in it. So uh, sorry to kind of hijack that point, but I, I just wanted to kind of iterate that for people that, you know, I feel that that I feel very strongly on that point as well of, of immersion with this and trying to get as much information. So again, creative deal structuring being kind of the focus of what you're doing, because obviously, like you said, you know, beginning real estate investors have one thing in common. A lot of them are broke. You know, not everyone starts out with kind of a, a Blackstone capital bankroll. You know, you have to get out there and be creative with it. So maybe go into a few, and I know you have, obviously you said you have hundreds of deals that you've done and you've been probably creative with 99, if not hundred percent of them, maybe give some, some ideas of what you mean of, of creative deal structures. You know, you walk up to someone's house, you knock on the door, you get that introduction and you start talking to them. Maybe walk us through something you know, memorable or, you know, I, I would think that very few things are very common when it comes to each interaction that you have with people. But if there is a common thread, um, you know, maybe dive into that a little bit as well. Okay. And one of the things you said is how do I find, you know, deals? And the answer is you don't. So this is one of the biggest lessons I learned from Pete Fortunato. We don't go looking for problems. We don't go out and looking for deals. You won't find one. What you do is you go looking for problems. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, 1979. So I'm selling during the summer on the Electrosis College program, trying to have enough money to go to college. I went to uh, UConn and University of Connecticut, and I'm not doing well. I'm not a gifted salesman. I mean, there are people out there that are really good and they can turn the screw and they can do all that. And I just never was that guy. Still, I'm not that guy. So we have to find what we're good at. And my mother, and I was going to have to drop out of college because I, you know, I was midway through the summer and I just didn't have enough money to go. And so it, it looked, didn't look good for me. And my mother brought home a, a, a tape series. No, it wasn't eight track. Eight tracks were still around then, but it was now cassette. But uh, it was from Zig Ziglar. It was called See, uh, See You at the Top. And that was the first motivational tape series I really ever heard. And in it, I heard Zig Ziglar say a thing that turned around my, my business life for the rest of my life. And it's a philosophy I still live by today. And what I heard him say was, you'll get exactly what you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. And that's the key. So when I'm door knocking, think of it this way. We'll talk about how I get in and what I see at the door in a minute, because that's not as nearly as important as this. When I'm sitting in someone's kitchen table, understand that my creative deal structuring toolbox, now it's not an actual thing, but just mentally think of a toolbox that has all these creative tools inside, subject to deals. Yeah, thanks, what box? <laughs> good, good, good catch, Alex. I teach what box and I'm talking about a box. But anyway, uh, I have, you know, subject to deals and owner carries and, you know, uh, uh, appreciation notes and performance notes and master leases and all these deal structuring tools in my toolbox. But when I go into someone's house, I've been invited into the house. I'm at the kitchen table. My, my creative deal structuring toolbox remains in my car. I don't open it. I don't think about it. It's not inside that house. When I'm sitting at the kitchen table, I'm there to discover what the problem is. I got to find out where it hurts. If it does hurt, maybe they don't have a problem whatsoever, 
then I can't solve anything because they don't have a problem. So going back to what Zig said, you'll get exactly what you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Set a different way. Every day, go out and find people to help and problems to solve. If you're not being as, as successful as you want to be, then go find more people to help. Go find more problems to solve. And the numbers will take care of themselves. You will become more successful. But if you sit at home, looking at a computer screen and looking at online stuff and sending out letters and you're not getting face-to-face, you're not finding people to help, well, good luck to you. I hope that works out for you. Don't think it will, but I I do wish you the best of luck. It's just not how I work. I, I go out and I go find those problems. And once I understand the problem, and that usually involves me using the tool of something called a T-bar. And all a T-bar is, I, I, when I'm in the house, I ask for a sheet of paper to take notes on. So I take this sheet of paper and I just draw a T on it. On the left-hand side, it says current position, meaning where are they now? Not physically, but what is their situation now? On the right-hand side, I put potential position. In other words, if they sit back and say, I don't like the subdivision covenants where I am. So that's on the left-hand side, current position. Right-hand side, if they'll just agree to my offer, they'll no longer have to worry about their their subdivision covenants. That problem gets taken care of. And I make a whole list on the left-hand side of where it hurts. And I do that by asking questions. I don't share any information about myself. I know there's a lot of people out there that says you've got to mirror people. You do not. That you've got to share your story. You do not. They don't care about your story. Any minute you spend telling your story is just a waste of time. Their story is what matters. Going, going back to Zig, you'll get exactly what you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And that's what you've got to discover. You do that with questions. And I don't have a list of questions. I have a manual about door knocking and I have questions in there, but I don't sit there with a sheet of questions. It's just a natural conversation you would have with someone. And when they say certain things and because you're face to face, when they with their shoulder moves or their, their head twitches, or you're like, you can tell that that, was, that, that hurt when you, you touched on that topic. That's the topic you want to probe into. You want to find out what's going on. And so that's what I go do. And then once I understand the problem, once I have a full understanding of what's going on, only then do I go to the car, get out my deal structuring toolbox. Remember, it's make-believe. And I open it up and I start putting together an offer using the tools that I have. And it may be all cash. Rarely is it. Usually it involves a lot of other different techniques and I call this structure stacking, meaning, well, good example is I teach a course with Vina Jones-Cox called Ultimate Creative Deal Structuring. We'll teach it this February. And in that course, we go over the individual tools. Like we'll cover uh, private money lending and we'll cover uh, owner carry notes and we'll cover subject to deals and we'll cover uh, master leasing and we'll cover pure options. So we'll cover the different tools and details individually. But what we're really talking about here with structure stacking is using a number of those tools in a single deal to make it work. So oftentimes, a deal may involve me getting a master lease on the property and me getting an option to be able to buy it at some point in the future and me putting into that option a subject to language where I buy it, I get it subject to. And maybe there's an owner note carried in there also. And at the backside, I'm going to, you know, I have to have, well, in going into it, I've got to be able to come up with a promissory note and securing that note. And how do you do a subject to deal in the documents that that forms? And then come out the other side, I'll probably will lease the property out. If I sell it, I'm going to have to know how to do owner financing, owner carry. 
So all these tools are put to work to make this one single deal work. And that's what creative deal structuring is about. I hope that kind of helps overview that I look for problems, not the deal. And that their situation is custom made. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that's a, a very good thing to point out. And one of my favorite stories I've heard anecdotally from investors over the years involved Pete Fortunato's son driving by and seeing a woman kicking a realtor's sign in her front yard. Uh, you know, not yep. all not, not all deal, not all problems are maybe as easily identifiable as that. So uh, you know, as much as I would love to, you know, dive headfirst right into all the fun, creative, and slightly more complex stuff. I think, uh, you know, some of the basics just on, you know, the fact of, again, door knocking being a kind of a novel approach for, for people in today's society, you know, certainly not novel going back to how things were sold. My grandfather sold insurance door to door, you know, right when he had my mother and my aunt. So, you know, it's as far as like people buying and selling things, it's been around for a long time, but certainly in the last maybe 20, 30 years, it's transitioned out. Uh, you know, you, you've knocked on someone's door, you know, you get invited in. How do you initially start trying to figure out what those problems are? You know, that's what your focus is, you know, trying to figure out what those problems are. You know, you don't just walk in and say, hey, I love your house. Uh, you know, I'd like to buy it. Here's the deal. Maybe walk us through kind of, you know, your general attitude of walking in and say, hey, you know, let's look at, let's look at this. You know, what, how do you find out what some of those problems are? I'm writing down the question. So I'm going to back up for a second. So the thing that most people are going to be interested in first is what do I say at the door? Right. So if I'm there, how do I pick my neighborhoods? And then what do I say at the door? And this is very different than when I sold vacuums door to door. I, I get, you know, when you open your door, there I am in your yard and I've got a, a vacuum under my arm. And when you open the door, you know exactly why I'm there. I'm a buyer. I'm soliciting. I'm trying to get a demonstration so I can sell a vacuum. Real estate is completely different. That's when you're a real estate investor and you're trying to buy a property, that's much more like going to a yard sale. In fact, there's really no difference when you go to a yard sale. So everything I'm about to say will ring true to you. If you've ever been to a yard sale, you're driving through a neighborhood, you see a first, you see a yard sale sign, keyword there is sale. You pull over, you don't drive for dollars, you don't write down the yard sale and say, I'm gonna send them a letter. You you park your car, you get out, you walk down the driveway. And people are friendly and they're kind and they're nice. And when you're walking down the driveway and you go, hey, they go, hey. And they have things they no longer want. And they want to get rid of this stuff. That's why they're doing this. They want it gone. And they want it gone sooner versus later. And they're not that interested in price. They want it gone because something's happened in their life where they're trying to clear out room or they're about to move or something's going on where they just want to declutter. And when you see a house for sale, it's the same way. So if I see a, a for sale sign in a, in, a, in a yard, whether it's a realtor sign, and I get this a lot, realtor sign or FISBO are the same thing to me. I'm not a realtor. I know that your state probably has rules that if you are a realtor, you can't cross another realtor sign. Well, I, that, that's, that's between realtors. That's y'all's game. I'm just an individual and nothing, absolutely positively, nothing prevents me from knocking on the door. And people said, what about no soliciting signs? Well, I'm not soliciting. The person with the for sale sign in the yard, they're soliciting. So when they say no soliciting, they're wrong. They're, they're soliciting. Um, but I don't really get any grief about that. So what I will do is if I see a, real, a, a sign in the yard, so I do not differentiate between realtor and FISBO, I will knock, I ring the bell and then I knock on the door 
and I'll back up 10 paces, which is 30 feet. So try that at someone's door. Go back up 10 paces, full paces, straight out, straight away from the door, not sidewalk, just straight away. And usually you're in the yard and that puts me 30 feet away. And the reason why I want to be 30 feet away is it creates distance. It makes the person feel safe because I not only want them to come to the door, I want them to open the door, but that's not enough. I need them to come outside. And if I'm standing on the the step or the stoop, they're never going to open that door. You're going to talk through a door almost every time. So by being too far away instead of too close, you will, they feel comfortable and they will come outside and talk to you. And all I say is, my name is Bill. I see your house is for sale. And what I'm pointing at is there for sale sign. Now, I just told them I'm not a salesman. I don't have any tags when people say, how do you dress? How do you dress when you go to a yard sale? Dress exactly like that. So I have knocked on doors in a tuxedo because I was on my way to a dinner party. And I have not knocked doors after being under a mobile home working on the water line for about four and a half hours. So you can imagine what I look like there. But if I see a house that I thought, oh, I better stop there. I never find a reason to not knock on a door. I always look for reasons to knock on the door. But anyway, my name is Bill. I see your house is for sale. I'm looking for a house in this area. My arm's out further, but this is it. I'm looking for a house in this area. Would you mind telling me about yours? And they'll say, what would you like to know? And then I just start asking questions. And the questions will be, well, uh, how many bedrooms and bathrooms? And how big is the den? And what is the kitchen like? And then I get to a little bit harder questions like, well, how long is the hallway? Or what size is the kitchen? Or what kind of sink do you have? Or is there a tile backsplash? So when you are, start asking these more specific questions, what the homeowner will do is usually look up and to the right. They'll just do this. And as soon as they do that, they'll look back at you and say, would you like to see the inside? Remember, you're not a salesman. They're, they have something they're trying to get rid of. And I, do, I again, I door by myself. And I also take... I did. I, I quit. I retired when I was 60 about taking big groups out, but I would take groups of 50, you know, 40, 50, 60 investors out. And I did that, you know, 40, 50 times a year, big groups all over the country. So it's not in one spot. It's not here in Georgia. It was everywhere else. And when I do that, I always would tell people ahead of time, three things will happen when we go out today. So I'm going into a neighborhood I've never been. I don't know anything about the neighborhood. No one's allowed to give me comps or rents or anything like that. I want to show them how I gather my information from people in the neighborhood by asking questions. And when I go, when I go into that neighborhood, um, what's going to happen are three things. Number one is we'll make between five and 10 written offers. That's very important because when investors call me up and they're not making it, I ask two questions and that tells me what the problem is. Just these two questions always work. The first question I ask is, why are you selling or uh, why you're selling? I ask is, how many written offers have you made in the last 30 days? And the answer is zero. The second question I ask is, how many written offers have you made in the last 12 months? And the answer is usually less than 10. And they're upset that they haven't bought 30 properties. So how do you make less than 10 offers in a 12-month period of time and expect to make 30 deals? It just it, it's crazy. And so I'm going to go out and make five or 10 written offers with 50, 60 people standing behind me, no matter where I go all day long. And again, you can track me. You can, I've been all over the country. So if I'm lying, it's going to be easy to prove me a liar. The second thing that's going to happen, and this is going to floor you, eight out of 10 sellers will invite us in. When I say us, I mean me and the whole group of people with me. So in other words, 
80% of the sellers invite us into the house. So I don't know what marketing you're using, but whatever it is, is it getting you to the kitchen table 80% of the time? Because door knocking does. And the third thing is I'll find one to three shadow sellers, which means someone who's going to put their house on the market in the next 12 months is not on the market yet. And the neighbors who are one that tells, tells me when I ask the question, do you know of anyone who's thinking about selling? Well, Bob across the street, he's getting ready to downsize. Fanny across the street, you know, she needs a house with a bigger bed, you know, more bedrooms. She's having twins. And so these are the, this is what happens when I go out. And again, eight out of 10 sellers invite me in. As soon as I find a method that works better than that, I'll use it. I don't love door knocking. There's not been a day in my life since I was 12 years old that I thought, I get to go door knock today. It's just what I do to accomplish the goals that I need to accomplish. And to me, it's the most effective way I've ever found. And I work a five mile circle around the Cartersville, Georgia, Walmart and have for more than two decades. That's the only place I go door knock for me, for our houses and everything's there. Um, so again, the approach I use, if there's a for sale sign, my name is Bill. I see your house is on the market. I'm looking for a house in this area. Would you mind telling me about yours? I ask a series of questions on question four through seven. They'll stop and say, would you like to see the inside? I say, I would love to. And then I go. The other thing is I will, if a house is for sale and let's say nobody's home, I'm going to talk to the neighbors. So usually two houses to the left, two to the right and four across the street. And I, when, when I knock on the door and people come to the door, I'll be pointing at the houses for sale and just say, there's a house over here for sale. Is really nice. I, I love your neighborhood. I love your street. I love the area. I want to live. I want to own a home here. Can you tell me about your neighborhood and, and that house? And you'll find out everything you want to know. They're more than happy to tell you. Again, you're not selling. You're about to become a neighbor. I don't say I'm an investor and flipping and wholesale. And I just say my wife and I would like to own a home here. So nice. I talk to the neighbors. Go ahead. I was going to say that's that's fantastic points to, to bring up right there on, on the, on the strategies for one, you know, if you see a for sale sign, you know, using that as kind of the foot in the door of asking those questions and how you go about doing that, um, you know, we're right up on, I, I, and I would love to continue this conversation. We could probably sit here and talk for, for hours. I know, I know for a fact that we could, um, but just to kind of bring it in for a landing um, to, to keep us in the block of, of time that we have allotted for it. Um, Bill, I know you teach a lot of classes on this and, you know, you have your what box class with Pete Fortunato, you have door knocking classes. Uh, do you have anything coming up uh, that people want to get a little bit more information on this and want to kind of continue uh, diving down this, this path of, of creative deal structuring? You got anything coming up uh, in the near coming future? Yeah, I have ultimate creative deal structuring that uh, I'll do with Vena Jones Cox. We'll do it in Tampa. So down where you are, and that will be on February 4th, 5th and 6th. And it's a three-day seminar. Vina is a phenomenal teacher. I enjoy teaching with her. Phenomenal writer. Um, and that's where we go into the individual tools. And the other thing that may help is I wrote a door knocking manual and it has the answers in it. It has how I make my written offers. It has the type of offers I make. It shows you the paperwork I use and it shows you how I structure some of my offers. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast with our great guest, Bill Cook. If you'd like to learn more about the events that he has coming up, his website is billandkimcook.com. Please check them out for more information on what they have going on. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies.
Want to hear more episodes of The Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.